Working Wife, Happy Life listeners. Thank you for joining me for another episode. So since we were last together, there's been uh, quite a bit of shock and terror here on our soil in the U.S. Uh, It was very painful and traumatizing to watch the events unfold live, especially with our kids in the room asking us what was happening, and we had no idea how to describe it to them, let alone any understanding of what was happening ourselves. I think it shocked the world. Um, There are very clearly many issues with what we all witnessed on January 6th. One aspect uh, of this was the inequities and the privilege that we see across racial lines in our society. And it's not specific to the U.S. and it's not exclusive to this moment in history, as we know. It is systemic and this has been going on for centuries and it's unfortunately no longer a surprise uh, or frankly a questionable truth. And the violation of the people's house at the hands of a mostly white, incited mob of intolerance spewing hate and false rhetoric is hopefully, hopefully the apex of what our country uh, has been reckoning with. I have to believe that good will reign over this evil and we will return to some semblance of peace. I'm reminded again of the song by Jason Isbell, called The High Road, where he says there can't be more of them than us. There can't be more. However, we can't turn our backs on what occurred last week, both in terms of protection of our democracy and in terms of the stark differences of treatment toward different communities. Just note that the following episode was recorded prior to the holiday break, so we did not discuss any of the events of the past week. Um, But in this episode, I sat down with Stephanie LeBlanc Godfrey, who I am so honored to call a friend. She's also a colleague at Google. She is the head of global head of inclusion programs for women of color. She is a thought leader in doubling down on support and advocacy for caregivers globally. Prior to this role, she was a retention strategist, acting as a coach, advisor, and advocate for underrepresented employees to get satisfaction in their roles, feel included at work, and find opportunities to develop and grow. This mother of three is a complete force of knowledge and empathy and drive that has led her from a degree in electrical engineering to an over 10-year career in media and tech. Steph and I discuss her educational and career path, bringing her passion for her professional life into her personal life with her new initiative, Parenting Backwards, and her credo that a question doesn't go unanswered, it goes unasked. She offers up great tips on talking to your kids about race and current events, as well as including some key resources on these topics. This is a conversation you won't want to miss. Thank you so much for tuning in. And now my conversation with Steph. Steph, hello. Good morning. I am so excited that we made this work. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Working Wife, Happy Life. Thank you for having me. We have been talking about this for like a year. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long time. The best things come to those who wait. It really is true. Uh, And what a year it has been. Um, So you and I are colleagues at Google 
and we started working together closely. What was it? Four years ago, maybe three or four At years least. ago. At least I want to say like twenty. Yeah, twenty sixteen. So that's four years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you've had. I mean, we worked together in ad tech, which was you know, it's not the most enticing <laughs> part. We were just talking earlier that this is the morning that some Google services went down. And how people keep pinging us and texting us to see if we can fix it. And they clearly don't understand what it is that we do. We are nowhere close on the totem pole of solving <laughs> Google was, server issues at all. I was assuring Steph that no one was paging me in the middle of the night to fix anything. Um, but actually on that, it's really funny. I before when we were when I was prepping for this conversation, you sent me your uh resume and are your bio. And I found that you actually do have an engineering degree as an electrical engineer, which I want to hear more about. Um, but first, I just want to introduce to our listeners that your current role at Google is you're the global lead for community inclusion programs for intersectional communities. What what does that actually mean? Yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's a wordy title. <laughs> I definitely, definitely understand that. Um, but within the the DNI umbrella, one of uh, the pillars that we focused on is increasing sentiments of inclusion and belonging to uh, all of our all of our communities. Uh, and so my role is particularly focused on women of color and intersection of uh, intersectional communities. So the way that we define women of color is Black, Latina, Indigenous uh, women. And then the intersectional communities within that space could be like Afro-Latina um, communities, Afro-Latinx communities, uh, queer and trans people of color. And so working on creating space for each of these communities to be able to connect with uh, individuals that, that they have these intersectional identities with, because our focus is on retaining talent. And if you're in a majority white space, connecting with those that have those identities are difficult. And so there's this intentionality through my role to create spaces uh, to invest in creating communities, being able to put, bring your authentic self to work. It doesn't always mm -hmm. happen in the form of your, you know, your direct team or your direct manager, but corporate spaces can have that sense of inclusion um, by creating it in one of many ways, but this being one of them uh, for people to, to connect with those who have like, like uh, uh, affinities. And so this isn't, you don't work on kind of products and inclusion in products. You're talking just about the people and how they can navigate to find one another in an organization that's as large as ours is um, exactly. without having to like do the work to find people that they would feel comfortable sharing with. And, uh, you know, the whole sense of community is the idea that those same people have also stood up to say, yes, I also identify as this. And so you kind of break down that barrier of them being able to connect with one another. Exactly. That's spot on. But what's really cool about my role is that I am expanding into product areas, um, uh, management and people development teams. So I'll work with them if they are coming up with like a process, a program, 
a policy and I'll partner with them to talk through how they can uh, ensure that there's an inclusion lens with what they do uh, so that when they roll out said program process policy, uh, that they're not causing any harm to mm-hmm. the very communities that, that they're trying to serve. Um, so with the, the direct connection that I have with the community, I can bring you know, feedback, uh, people to connect with in the forms of you know, uh, feedback groups or whatever it is that, that they need to get the information, to get the thoughts of the community to inform the decisions that they make uh, when creating a product, a service, a training uh, that will ensure uh, the inclusion health of that thing when it actually goes live. So that's like the fun, fun part yeah. of, like, of what I do. And how this is, it's such a critical part of society right now, but also corporate culture. Um, I know a lot of companies are trying to. Um, you know, put in programmatic ways and and hire um, and and resource these types of initiatives. But I'm just curious about like your personal path because, as mentioned before, <laughs> I still need to get back to this electrical engineering yeah. degree. Um, but when we met, you were working in ad tech. So could you share a little bit about kind of how your career pivoted in this way and? Were these roles you went after? Was it something that evolved out of a passion of yours? Yeah, so I've taken a couple of turns, uh, but they've all been intentional. And so it started off since the age of 10, I knew that I wanted to be an engineer. At the time, it was a computer engineer. I had gotten my first Gateway 2000 computer, if you want to blast <laughs> from the past with all those cow spotted markings all over the place. And from that point, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so my mom put me in every after school program, every summer program that had anything to do with math and science. And so that passion lasted through high school. And then I, I went into uh, Stevens Institute of Technology. Uh, for college to get a degree in computer engineering. And so I got there and I was like, uh, everyone else is doing computer engineering. I want to be different. So I'm going to do electrical. And I loved it. I loved the hands-on, the problem solving. It was, it was really sort of fascinating to me. And I was part of the co-op program through my school. So every other semester I would actually work for an organization and get paid well, my school had a co-op program too. It's yeah. So great. yeah, yeah, it was great. And and the reason that I chose Stevens because Stevens and and George Washington is that the Stevens program, more than fifty percent of the population of students were part of the co-op program. Where at GW, it wasn't like this huge thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my mom had the notion that you know, if more than half the class is with you, it doesn't feel like you're in this isolated um, type of program. Um, So I cried about it because I wanted to go to DC and not be in Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But here we are. I now live in Jersey. So uh, it's great. Uh, But uh, went through the the co-op program and actually got my first job offer the like first day of my senior year of college at Lehman Brothers. I was going to go into the finance industry doing um, what's called infrastructure engineering. So building the infrastructure for the traders and everyone else, um, in the company. 
And I got there and I was like, <laughs> the people around me were in different life stages, different ages. And it was a, just a white male dominated world. And I didn't know what a sponsor was or a mentor. I didn't have anyone around me. Uh, that looked like me, that had any interest in me to be like, hey, young lady, let me, you know, kind of take you under my way. Yeah. None of that. And so I felt really, really isolated. And so I spent probably about a year and a half just figuring out what I was going to do next. So just researching, interviewing, doing all these things. And then digital media became it. So it was a great balance between the analytical skills that I had, but then I was engaging with salespeople. And so it just connected. And so my first role in digital media was for Forbes. Um, Mike Smith, uh, who's now at, um, at Hearst is, uh, was my, was my manager and he also was an electrical engineer. And so that's what got me to, he's like, if you can do electrical engineering, then you can do yield and forecasting. That was the world that, that I lived in. And so, so said, so done. I uh, stayed at Forbes for a bit and kind of jumped around to the other media companies. And then when I was at NBC, I got offered, a friend of mine said, hey, there's a role at Google that you should apply to. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll why not? It's Google. Um, had no idea that I would get the role. So eight interviews two months later jeez <laughs> exactly <laughs> just a short stint <laughs> the process has not gotten better but yes yeah so i i got the offer and i was like wait no i don't know if i should take it uh because i was like up for being director i had a team and then i would be going to an individual contributor role and i was like i was climbing this thing called the corporate ladder and now this is like you know, a different turn. And everyone in my life is like, you are going to Google. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So I cried about it, got there. And I was like, wow, what is this world? And so never looked back, never regretted um, that that shift that I made. Um, And so I joined the, the revenue intelligence team supporting large publishers. So then the companies that I worked for were now the clients that I came in and, and did this work for. But about two years in, I realized like, hmm, this looks like a career, but not a career that I'm actually interested in and want. It's not what I want. It's something that I'm good at, but not something that, I, that I'm passionate about. And so spoke with my manager, who was amazing. And then we just started dual pathing, right? working on my core role there, but then also figuring out where else at Google I could find a fit. Um, and so DNI became it before DNI was a big buzzword that, yeah. that it is now. I, I kind of just focused back in on how I felt entering the finance world and feeling so alone, feeling so isolated. And I wanted to work in a space where I can retain women who are now in the tech world and felt that sense of isolation and, and, um, and aloneness. That's a word. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. We're going to make it a word for 2020. We're going to get that added to the dictionary. (laughs) Because it's 2020. It's possible. (laughs) 
and so that's what that's the spirit of what I wanted to work with with women who were in this space um, and didn't were on teams where they they felt isolated. And so that's what I did for like another year and a half, almost two years, volunteering for everything from just opening doors to registering people to like ushering up the elevator, anything that was in that DNI space, I was there and kind of getting to know people and building relationships with them. And so um, it was not easy, but when I finally got my first role within DNI, it was a one-to-one retention of Black and, and Latina uh, women. Uh, and so this was acting as uh, coach, advisor, advocate for people who were on their way out of the door uh, mm. of Google and trying to figure out what their desired outcome was and then supporting them in that. So whether it was to join a new team or whether it was to just have a dignified exit out of mm-hmm. Google, mm-hmm. I would kind of support them uh, with within that space. And so did that for probably close to a year and it was the best and the most draining part of (laughs) uh, my life because I loved what I did. I loved the one-to-one. I loved being able to see, to connect with someone who was in that moment of crisis and literally hold their hand through a journey to get them to a space where they could believe in themselves again, where they could be excited about work. but I also wanted to take everyone home with me. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, it's that it's that is literally like hero's work, and I don't know how you don't kind of, you know, through just being an empathetic human, and and having lived your own experiences, not just kind of revisit that trauma or share in their trauma with each conversation. Yes. So you definitely do all those things, and so as a team, we had you know, processes in place of like days where we wouldn't um, engage with our clients, uh, days where we would just kind of talk and vent to each other, mental health days, you know, pushing for for therapy for us to process through that because it was just really um, heavy, heavy stuff. Um, But the impact that we had, you know, just made it completely worthwhile. And so we were looking to, to, push that uh, even further and make it international. And just as I was about to like go on that track, um, our chief diversity officer was, you know, they presented me with, with an offer to scale the work that I'm doing as opposed to the one-to-one. And so that's how I started with my new role that I'm currently in. Not so, not so new anymore, uh, but focused on how can we support uh, these communities at scale, and then also provide interventions for them uh, to help with career progression, as well Mm -hmm. as sentiments of inclusion. I mean, that is, so first of all, I love the story because so much of it is driven by your own passion and desire and interests, and then a very keen self-awareness of when it does and doesn't feel right, Mm -hmm. um, which ultimately led you to where you are today of how do I, you know, make others feel less alone? And now how do I do this on a broader impact level with your new role, which is just amazing. I feel like anytime on this podcast that we talk to people who started their own communities or have gotten involved in really meaningful work, so much of it is driven by 
you know, what your own experience are, what, what you wish you had in that moment that you didn't have. Um, So I'm so happy that you found something so challenging, almost impossible to do everything right. Um, so fulfilling, um, and so meaningful to you. Um, and, and you touch on a lot of things there. And one thing that you mentioned that I would love to spend some time on is the mental health aspect, because talking about mental health in a corporate setting or in the workplace is a pretty new phenomenon. And I would bet that there's a lot of people that think, you know, even talking about mental health within a company is considered a privilege, right? There's a lot of people, particularly now through the pandemic, um, if you're fortunate enough to be remote workers, companies are tracking mouse clicks to see, make sure their workers are working. You know, they're very, there's a lot of, I think, uh, deeper strains to mental health from a workplace perspective, let mm-hmm. alone, you know, globally and systemically and society what's happening. And how have you seen that kind of evolve, you know, just at Google, and I'm sure you talk with a lot of other partners outside of Google, and kind of understanding how meaningful that is from a retention lens and a business lens to make sure to ensure the mental health of your of your teams? Yeah, so what's interesting at Google is like, what because I've been there for so long, what I think is normal... <laughs> is Mm -hmm. not happening at all. So the conversations that we have, you know, the push that we have for, for mental health and diverse mental health practitioners and the benefits that we get, I'm like, wait, they're not talking about this in, in, in different companies. And so I feel a sense of, of obligation of sharing my own experiences with, uh, you know, taking Kara's leave like I did um, for for my girls when they when they started school when different you know racially unjust shit happens in the news that I'm like I'm not doing this today and taking time off and being somewhat vocal about that on my on my different social platforms that gives other women permission to say like hey you're doing that wait I I actually can, can do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's so important because even for companies that provide those benefits or talk about it in some way, it's often you don't make the connection that it's for you, that you can use it, that now, right now is the time that, that you should be using it unless someone's modeling totally that, that behavior. Um, and so that's why it's so important for, for leadership during this time to be really transparent about their, you know, revised work schedules, the fact that they need to take time off and that they actually do take the time off. You can't say, hey, we care about your mental health and we believe in self-care. And then you're always working, right? What right. happens is everyone's just waiting for the first person to, to make the move. Mm-hmm. to make that self-care move and then nothing nothing happens right we're all just mm-hmm. kind of burning the candle uh at at both ends so that role modeling of what you the way in which people should be using their benefits should be incorporating therapy into their uh lifestyle 
the way in which that they should just be taking time out, whether it's a day or a couple of hours of that day, is so important to drive that that um, utilization percentage. Yeah, <laughs> to get technical. Of, of the- I know, I know what's on your OKRs. <laughs> No, but it's true. It's like, you you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but this the sense of paternity leave where, you know, so many companies offer it, but how many people, at least outside of Google, will say, yeah, but no one ever takes it. Right. And right. even with, so um, Steph mentioned carer's leave, which is a very generous uh, benefit of Google to help caregivers during this uh, crazy time. And we had it before uh, if you had to care for a sick family member or something, but uh, definitely formalized and more heavily utilized during uh, the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I heard, you know, people would be worried about taking it or if I I did take carer's leave as well when my father-in-law was sick and I had it on my out of office and people would say, what, what is this carer's leave? Meanwhile, we talked about it in every forum. So it's like, you think, you think that your teams are getting this message. Like I can't express to any leaders listening how important it is for repeat messaging as Steph is saying, for modeling this behavior um, and for really ensuring, you know, the the safety and the reassurance to your teams that if they take this time for themselves because they need it, it is not indicative of their commitment to their role or your company. And, and that's the big disconnect that I see where, you know, you have this assumption that they're somehow disengaged, but they're actually... Right going to be better off because they're taking care of themselves. Right, exactly. And and another sort of uh, a piece of that is when you're in the moment, you may hear this messaging, but when you're in the moment of crisis, you're like, uh, what do I, what do I, what do I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there also needs to, in, in terms of, of benefits, like a marketing, like, like on the level of like a Google pixel commercial, right. That will get things stuck in your head. Um, so that it will trigger that memory of like, wait a minute, I've heard of this thing called carers leave. Let me, let me look into it. Uh, because we do have a lot of, of great benefits and a lot of companies have a lot of great benefits, but it's, how do you find it? What's the process by which you can get to that information quickly and in the moment that will help you? Or do you like, I've just got to grin and bear it. And also when it comes to uh, sort of the race and gender overlay of the use of these benefits, right? Women are, you know, fearful of uh, either retaliation, uh, demotion, uh, the their uh, career trajectory getting slowed down or completely halted by by taking time off and so those real fears prevent them from doing what they need to do uh to be their to be their best and then the performance issues starts happening and then now you've got this like cycle of just poor performance still trying to manage all the things, feeling terrible about it, which leads to more poor performance. Um, and that really just has a, a negative impact on sense of self. Uh, it shows up in, you know, physical and mental manifestations of just trauma and stress. And that's, that's the work that we are, are trying to, to get away from. 
Yeah, I mean, that is such a uh, critical point because I've seen it so many times where you just you kind of start spinning out. Yeah. And you and there's no positive way out of that. And it's almost like every conversation, every project, every instance reinforces that. Yeah. Um, and it's so dire. And like that's to me, that's the goal let's, let's do your quarterly goals together now. No, but that's, that's the goal of your work is to make sure like, how do we get people before they're in that vortex, right? Like when, how do you recognize, you know, a lot of people will seek therapy or seek stress relief when they're in that moment of crisis, but how do you get them right before that crisis? So Mm -hmm. before it becomes an emergency, before it becomes, you know, so dire. And I think that's, what um, your work is going to aim to do as you scale some of these programs that are meant to prevent rather than just triage. Right. Um, and then the important piece there is getting to that, that space where they have community, whether it's one or two or three other people within their inner circle that they can talk to about a thing before mm-hmm. it gets out of hand. And then they have a team that can be like, hey, did you know about this? Did you know about that? Let's talk through it. Let's strategize together. When you're isolated and you're only in your head trying to manage this, that's when you'll spin out versus when you have your community, when there have been spaces created for you to connect with people on whatever you view as the most important points of connection. It could be ethnicity. It could be race, gender, sexual orientation ability, veteran status, whatever that is, that you then have someone that you feel comfortable and vulnerable enough with to talk about what's going on so they can, you know, see the forest from the trees for you and really walk with you through whatever that challenge is. So it's not the vortex and it's not you leaving the company in the middle of the night, right? That it's not performance issues. That's kind of getting you in a place where you feel that you have to leave, but that you have a team with you that will help you navigate that in the best and most strategic way possible. Yeah. And it's also so hard to, you know, you can create these communities, but you do need to have some sort of authoritative sponsor in those moments too, because most of these communities are not representative of those who are the ultimate decision makers. And so that's where I find sometimes the community can feel uh, so warm and welcoming because of the shared experience and the ability to be so candid, but also a bit fruitless sometimes where it's Mm -hmm. like, how do we drive real change? Um, And I think, you know, to put a positive note on this, I I think there is real change. I think we really have to focus this year has been so challenging on so many fronts and not, not just this year, obviously centuries of, of uh, marginalization and um, you know, discreditation and gaslighting and all of those terrible Mm -hmm. things have been going on for eons. Um, but it is important to take a moment to recognize the wins and recognize the progress that is out there. And even when you see the news of unfortunate things happening to recognize, but look, it's in the news, right? Like, so like those are the moments where it's like, okay, but it is getting noticed. It is getting discussed and it's part of the process of progress. It, it, and I think that's, um, 
anyway, I, I want to pivot a little bit, but um, I want to pivot into some of the work that you're doing outside of your core role, because you're, you do a lot of um, work and conversations and uh, research on talking to children about race. Is, is am I categorizing that correctly? Yeah. So it's, I would say that that's a pillar under focusing in and investing in parents who want to have the same level of intentionality and energy in their parenting life that they do in their professional life. Mm. And so having conversation of race in this year, right, is even the the spotlight is is huge on that. And so that's been an important and a topic that just keeps coming up of like, I, I want to do something. How do I do it? What, when's too early? When's too late? Just sort of answering all these questions. And so I love to engage with parents to get them off of the hook on of the stress that they feel of like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And it has to be this like perfect, beautiful, well thought out, you know, well choreographed thing that they present to their kids. And, you know, oftentimes kids are like, okay, great. Can I go play Roblox now? <laughs> And can I have some Robux too? <laughs> right. And some Robux. Um, could you put in your password here? And, and, and so the conversations that I have is just sharing, right? Sharing best practices, uh, sharing stories, right? So that you can see yourself in this of like, okay, I don't feel like the only idiot <laughs> that's like mumbling and fumbling through these and other uh, types of, of conversations. And so can you give some example? I'm thinking of so many conversations that I've mumbled and fumbled through with my children, um, even just recently with Elliot Page's announcement, we were reading it together. Um, mm -hmm. And that's um, the the actor who uh, came out with a, a sharing their gender identity. And it was really something where my 13-year-old and I were talking through it and reading the statement and trying to discuss and understand. And it was challenging. I'm like, I actually don't have all the answers. I don't know. I don't. And he was teaching me things and we were looking things up. And like, you know, to me, those are really momentous things that you don't realize are about to happen, right? I right. think we were like between episodes on something and like finishing up dinner. And then all of a sudden you're engaged in this really meaningful conversation. <laughs> you're like, oh, we're going to do that now. <laughs> um, so like, can you give us some examples like of, of what, uh, you know, comes to mind for you most recently or what you've coached some others through in that, yeah. that vein? Well, I think you mapped out the perfect way to handle this. And so I'll, I'll walk through the example that, that you just gave, right? You're living your life, having dinner, and then a bomb just drops on the dinner table of, okay, what does trans mean? And, you know, what's happening and what does this mean? And you're like, oh, oh okay. So the first thing that you did right was not walking away from the conversation, not shutting it down, not saying, I don't know, and, and kind of leaving it there. Because what I often say is that a question doesn't go unanswered, it goes unasked. Mm. And so they're looking to your response to the questions that they ask. And if you clam up, 
you know, if you get angry or try to brush it under, then they have now learned, okay, I don't go to her for those types of questions. And then, well, where else are they going? Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's, That's the worry, right? So while on the inside, you're like, uh-oh, what, what, how am I going to answer this? You then was like, you were like, okay, let's talk about it. I'll share as much information as I have, right? At 13, he's got some information that you didn't know that he had. <laughs> and then you go on the learning journey together um, in terms of searching more information, the right words to use. Um, similar situations so that you can kind of get this holistic look at at the topic that that you're talking about and that's the way to handle it it's not to be this like all-knowing parent that has all the answers or to shy away from it it's like all right cool let's figure it out together um and that's what my parenting practice parenting backwards it's all about bringing kids on your learning journey with you whether it's the learning journey of things that they are bringing to you or, you know, the way in which we invest in ourselves, like I said, as professional parents, right? We're reading all the books, going to all the conferences, getting the mentors and sponsors. How can we bring some of those things that we learn and teach our kids those mm-hmm. lessons at, at an earlier at an earlier age? The second piece of that is that you will have this well thought out, like I said, well thought out, well choreographed uh, piece and they'll watch you have no follow up questions and then completely divert the conversation. And (laughs) early on, I'd be like, like, feel like a complete failure. Did you even hear what I said? Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of that. And what I realized is that they are taking it in, processing it, and then I'll see it come out in in some way in Mm. in in the future so for instance when I was talking to my girls they're 10 and 8 about uh the Black Lives Matter movement Sesame Street and Nickelodeon had some like really good age appropriate content and so we Mm. watched that and I'm like cool any questions no questions and then like a couple days later they had written Black Lives Matter in chalk and mm. I was like, oh, oh, so you were. <laughs> it's, uh, it's in there. Yeah. It's in there. It's in there. And so you have to give them a time to just process that. You do your best of the five or 10 minutes that you have of their attention to give them the information that, that you think that they need. And then just let it go. And it will come up at some point or maybe, you know, you can bring it up um, a bit later, but at least then they've had time to process. And then you can just continually just bring up the conversation in little ways. And I think there are these everyday moments that pop up for you to take advantage of talking about a thing. And that's the key. It's not these big sweeping gestures. It's these little moments where where they say something or ask something where something comes on TV, where the news is on, and you you see them staring a little bit at the TV, but then not asking anything. And you can just like, oh, here are my thoughts on it. I know you didn't ask, but here are my thoughts. And then you just let it, you let it go. And that is great tip. Wholeheartedly the way that I that I believe that, you know, the they know that you're open to the conversation. They know you're not pressing it. 
um, that you do have information and that they will more likely come to you with those questions that they have as they come up. Yeah. I mean, that's such a powerful visual too, because, you know, I had, this is so silly, but it really stuck with me. There was, um, Chrissy Teigen tweeted out or, or posted on Instagram a couple days ago where she's like, it was just a picture of her and her daughter sitting on the floor. And she's like, I just first, you know, it reminds me that this moment was a moment for her. It wasn't a mm-hmm. moment for me. It was a moment for her. And I find that we as parents are, you know, we, we drive ourselves insane. Like you're saying to say the right thing in the right way at the right time to the oh. right people. And if we just get out of our own fucking heads for a minute and just meet them where they are yep. and, and recognize that when they're watching the news, first of all, it's a fucking scary year <laughs> for any kid, any person to watch the news. But then when the kids are internalizing it, right? Like my eight-year-old is talking about like the presidential election. Like, did mm-hmm. you give a shit about the presidential election when you were eight? No, but this is a part of their everyday life. And, yep. you know, we talk a lot about those things in our household because there's no way to avoid it, right? There's TikTok, there's YouTube, there's all of these other influences on them. And I at least want to make sure that they know that, you know, like you're saying, these topics are not off limits with me. Right. They will have questions. They will also have statements that come out of like things that they believe mm-hmm. and we need to unpack those. Where are those coming from? What is the meaning? What is the origin of that? And I do see it as parents, like we have to kind of, pull that information out of them so that we can kind of correct it. Um, Especially when TikTok is talking about the presidential election and all these parodies and things that are jokes, half mm -hmm. truths, fake news. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're taking that as like, Oh, that's real. Yeah. And so that's why it's so important as much as it's a good babysitter (laughs) that we have to watch over and watch what they're watching so that we understand the information that they're taking in so that we can then respond to it. And it's not telling them that's wrong. Here's like another like amazing thing that I'm still working through, but that I think is, is really important. It's asking questions. What do you think about that? Why do you think that that is? What's missing, right? What are they like skewed heavily on talking about or showing, right? I want them to become aware of their surroundings and taking it in and processing it and not just accepting it. Oh, this is just how, this is just how it is. And so one of the the big topics that I'm talking about, which I'm super excited to uh be rolling out in January is how to read to your kids, right? The books that they read, you know, there's this push of like, we've got to get books with, with non-white characters, with diverse characters, but there's a way in which you can have really rich discussion with any book that you pick up. Mm. And it's around the questions that you ask, the conversations that you have about the, 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 the images uh, in the book, the, the race, gender, ethnicity, all the ability, all of these things that either show up or don't in the book mm-hmm. so that they can walk through their you know, time here on earth and always assess 
the situation around him? Who's missing from this? Right. Right. right? Who's not? Thought. Yeah. yeah. Critical thought. Yeah. It's funny. My kids were just watching some stupid show on some <laughs> elf thing. And like, they're like, all the elves are white. Why are all the elves white? And then they're like, oh, here comes the token black elf. And like, they would die because they did. They recognized yeah. that that was missing. And I, you know, it's funny for, not funny, but for our generation, like I can see, you know, somebody in our parents' generation hearing that and being like, oh God, now here they come, these wild liberals. And yeah. it's like, no, it's the yeah. point that like, that's not the life that they see. So it actually looks strange to them mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there isn't representation. And then it gives them the empowerment to say and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Where like, that's the juicy part that I'm looking for with, with my kids of like, okay, you see something is wrong, right? You see forms of uh, oppression in real life. What, what's your, what's your role in, in dismantling it without like the heavy, right? Like, I don't want you to think it's heavy where they have to like go in and fight someone or something, but like, what part can they play in dismantling it? Is it telling a teacher? Is it telling a parent? Um, is it just talking through it? with with someone with the kids uh in the in that situation what are the ways that they can feel that they have a role because that sort of of uh, behavior right will then be get itself into the future where as college students and as young adults when they see something they've already built that muscle mm -hmm. to be aware of to call out and to look to make the change that needs to happen in those uh, situations. And again, this isn't a perfect thing where they're going to do it every time they see something, but they have those skills where where it matters most to them or to the situation that they have the tools to act and do something about it. And that That's means fun. Like that means like the reaction time gets shorter, right? Yeah. Or the 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 nerves or the like you're saying, the tools, the skill set, it's all there to lean on when things might yeah. are gonna start to get more and more consequential. Um, it's reminding me my my son, I think he was either fourth or fifth grade. And he came home from school and he's telling me, you know, you always get the good stories when you're lying down at bedtime because mm -hmm. they don't want to go to sleep. Um and he's like, you know, there were these kids and they were, it was recess and they were all grabbing at Kamau and, you know, they were like pulling at his shirt and stuff and they were all white. And I said, you know, you're being really racist right now. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so nice that like you stood up for Kamau like that. And he's like, yeah. And they were all girls. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> Oh my God, how do I explain this? Oh my God, you know, you, you kind of, yeah. Thank you for that in the future. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, but that's, it's, that's the reactions that you want. And then you, all right, let's think let's through this. this. Yeah. Um, it, but it is, it's really interesting. And I think, um, you know, my kids have moved from Brooklyn. They went to school in Brooklyn for their entire lives. And then we've mm -hmm. lived in South Jersey for the past couple of years. And fingers crossed we're coming back to Brooklyn next year. Yay. More on that later. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that they have seen very different communities 
in terms of the community that they've lived in and the community uh-huh. that they're living in now. And they're at a great age to talk about that. And we talk about it regularly because I think there's something that's really important about identifying uh, areas of, of communities or um, people that are not represented in your everyday to help uh-huh. them realize, like we we're talking about, like where that representation isn't. So it's not, it's not an other, it's not a different, it's just not here. Right. It's not in front of me. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean it's not an important conversation. So for any of our listeners that do live in communities that are maybe not as diverse or they don't see as much representation as they might want, or, or even if they're not thinking about it, what would be some parenting recommendations to, you know, introduce those concepts in a natural way where their kids might not be exposed? Yeah. So I think just the daily watching TV, the TV shows that we watch. Uh, and again, like I said, the critical thought of talking through the the what's missing here. Wouldn't it be interesting to see these other type of of people? Um, And I think the other part is also just getting out of your community, right? So you talk like, what if you're in this like homogenous community? And so, you know, they're just thinking that this is, is life. That's where you have to have the intentionality to really go outside of your comfort zone, go outside of your community, to watch certain things, to read certain books, to go certain places, uh, to, to get that education. Everything can't fall in your lap, sorry, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. if it's something that's really Im- important to you, and now that you're hearing the impact of, of not talking about a thing, you know, you've got to do the work to be open-minded to, to more things. And that's more work on your, on your part, get over it. It's just what we have to do to get to, get to a better place. Well, and also you have things like, you know, the black lives matter movement, which on TikTok is rampant everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? So every seven or eight year old girl who's on TikTok you know, globally can see people who have their profile shots of the fist in the air and those types of things. And so if you are not talking to your child about what that movement really means, and they're just appropriating it as, you know, this, this, this cultural new TikTok challenge, (laughs) right. It's not a tagline, like there's meaning behind it. And so you do have a responsibility to explain to them what that means if they are not seeing it in their everyday life. And I think the other important piece too is it can't be like you just pouring into them of like of diversity because they're still then looking at you, right? Mm. Who are your friends that you talk to, that you hang out with, the movies that you watch, the places that you go to to buy things, right? The way in which you live your life as the parent that is the biggest impact that has the biggest impact on what your child will mimic no matter what you say right and no matter what you're talking to them about the the black lives matter movement right those are words and then they're gonna walk away from you but how can you instill that in just them seeing how you move um through the world or even how you if you you know if you don't feel like you have the words to explain the Black Lives Matter movement or you don't feel like you fully understand it, 
to take them with you on that journey of your own discovery, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and And there's so much content out there too. Like I said earlier, right. Sesame street, Nickelodeon, there's so many Instagram accounts and organizations that are popping up to help parents through this conversation. Um, conscious kids embrace race. Those are two other organizations, um, that also help, help with these conversations, right? So, so you're not alone with anything that you're interested in. You'll do the work to learn the skill, get, figure out how to do it, where to do it, what to buy. The information is out there when it comes to, to these um, topics. And then forums for parents to kind of talk through and put their foot in their mouth and have that vulnerable space to talk through things so that they can then bring back that knowledge um, to their, to their family life. It's all there. You just have to make the intentional step to make that part of your life. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I have to say I've been on and continue to be on a personal journey that I didn't realize I needed as much as I did. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most, uh, profound pieces has been like reflecting on times where I would have said or done something insensitive with zero intention and not realizing it. And so not that moment, but the moment of stopping myself from going to that person to then say, I'm so sorry I did this because then you like kind of perpetuate the burden and like that it's my discomfort to sit in. It's my mm-hmm. job to question why that was my rea- reaction or why I thought that that would not be a harmful thing to say. Yeah. And, it, you know, kind of sitting in that gross feeling of like, you know, it's not about what I intended. It's about what the impact was. Right. Because if you sit in that gross moment, you're like, oh, don't want to ever do that again. Exactly. <laughs> Versus resolving yourself and saying, well, I can just talk my way out of it next yeah. time. It's like, And that, you know, I, I think, you know, my kids tease me a lot because I, I do, as you can imagine, Steph, get on my soapbox quite a bit at home. <laughs> um, but I know they're taking that with them, right? Like I know they'll have this, this, idea that, Hey, this woman's in her mid forties and she's still fucking up all the time and talking Mm -hmm. about how she's fucking up and talking about how she wants to do better. And whether that's, um, you know, conversations about race or intersectionality or, you know, stuff in my professional life, et cetera. Like I share all the warts with them. Yep. Same here. Same here. Um, We can't be that perfect parent, right? Like, or, you know, just what prior generations of like, I'm the parent, you're the child, you don't get to know all the details. You mm-hmm. just be the child. I, I wholeheartedly believe on bringing them on the journey. So talking through things and, you know, the pandemic has allowed them to see a lot and hear a lot of the conversations, the engagements that I have so that they're they're picking up on that. But even with them, when, you know, I get on them about something. I'm like, damn, all right, that was a little too harsh. Or maybe I could have said it in a different way that I'll like have to like eat crow and like explain it to them. Like, I'm sorry. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Here's why I did what I did because you want them to have those skills. If we don't teach that to them now, we're stunting their critical skill their empathy, the ability to, their self-awareness, the ability to admit when they're wrong and how you talk through a thing. Mm -hmm. We are not giving them the vocabulary to be able to express, you know, when they're mad, sad, angry, 
even happy, right? They need to see how we process those things, right? And it's not like airing every single thing, but they need to see, oh, here is when I'm angry, you know, I go take a bath or I go take a walk, right? And so now they're like, okay, those are some things that they can then employ within their own lives. So as much as we want to coddle them and keep them safe and keep them innocent, it's just not reality to, mm-hmm. to do so. You want to have some like snazzy kids that are with it and got it. Uh, and so you have to then show them behind the scenes a bit so that they will be able to operate in, in the way that you'd like them to in these situations. Yeah. Because life is coming at them fast and furious, whether yeah. we like it or not. You know, it used to be that like the city kids were exposed to more, but now like technology <laughs> has like shut down those walls and everybody's exposed to everything all the time. And it's exactly, you know, that is definitely the parental plight right now. But I love that. Like, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I share a lot on this podcast, but like I lose my shit on my kids all the time. I have a temper. Mm-hmm. I'm Italian. Like I am fiery. And I say sorry a lot, right? Like, you know, my son will be like, why are you in such a mood? I'm like, I don't know, but you're not going to get me out of it. So just leave me alone. You know, it's just like, I will let you know where you stand and whether or not I'm, Uh you know, somebody you want to be around right now. But, and and I don't know, you know, this is all an experiment. So talk to me in 20 years. We'll see how it turned (laughs) out. But (laughs) Same here. It's like, oh, maybe I'd expose them to, to too much. But I think that's the the weird part of me that's excited about this, that you have these humans that you want to give them as much information and support as possible for them to be the best versions of themselves. I'm not trying to make them a mini me. And so by showing them the good, the bad, the indifferent, they can then make the decisions on the pieces that they hopefully that they want, that they don't want. but that those conversations are always happening and there's always this self-awareness and this thinking and processing that's happened so that they're not just on autopilot. I, I act this way. I don't know why. Right. Actually, right. I act this way because my mom said <laughs> right. my mom did this. You know who to, who to blame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like, know where it comes from, but at least you know where it comes from. And then you can decide, is this how I want to continue or is this where I want it to stop? Right. That's my goal. It's the opposite of repressed. Right. Right. <laughs> All out there for anyone to see. Uh, well, I love this conversation so much because I feel like we hit on so many things across your career, um, so many ways that you're trying to drive um, systemic and programmatic change that is so critical in terms of retaining uh, women and marginalized communities in the workforce and then the very kind of micro level of the household and the home and how to navigate these really challenging times with empathy and honesty and curiosity. And Mm -hmm. I just thank you for everything that you're doing and for what a champion you are and how resilient you are in all the years that I've known you. Um, If any of our listeners wanted to engage with you directly and your work uh, with Parenting Backwards, where can they find you? Yes. So on Instagram, it's parenting backwards spelled appropriately. Um, And then my website is parentingbackwards.co.co, not.com. And um, 
to see me and my family and all my fun stories uh, on Instagram, it's I underscore am, A-M underscore S-L-G. Awesome. Well, we will include that. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was so good to see you, quote unquote. Yes. Really yes. see you. And I thank you. Thank you for your friendship and your support and your real talk every single time we engage. I love it. And and I count you as a member of my my mom tribe that I couldn't do this without. Couldn't do it without. Don't make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Steph, thank you so much. All right. Bye, everyone. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated.